No kidding. Okay. <clears throat> All right. So, um, any of you that have uh, heard about or heard those of us in the Junius Heights missional community talk about what's going on in Junius Heights, uh, I, I hope that, that you've heard about things like excitement and hope and opportunity and perhaps even the phrase God is really doing something in Junius and we're looking to join in with him and, and, and participate in, in that work there. Um, and that, those things are all valid. I feel that. That's really how I feel. But I have to tell you that um, a lot of time I also feel frustrated. And, uh, you know, it goes back. We've been, we've been uh, doing, uh, we've been existing as a missional community in Junius Heights now for nine months. Uh, to go back a little further, Megan and I have been part of Storyline, um, learning and trying to live intentionally with this community for over two years now. Uh, and it's been actually over three that we've been in our house uh, in Genius Heights. And we came to the neighborhood and we came to Storyline with this idea that, you know, if we could just come into this neighborhood and bring people with us and begin to live in an authentic community, um, spend time with each other, share meals, help each other out, um, bring other people uh, from outside into our community and, and show them what a true community is and how we love each other and care for each other and have fun together, that people would be drawn to that, that they would want to come and join and be part of our community. And then it's through that that they would also want to know, why are we like this? Maybe they would want to know more about Jesus. Maybe they would want to become a disciple of Jesus. And that was always this, this dream and this, this idea that we had. And that hasn't really happened in fact, when we, the more we have plugged into Junius Heights, the more we have found that that is a neighborhood thriving with community. We've plugged in and joined the Early Childhood PTA and the Brew Club and the Neighborhood Association. We've been to parties. We've had friends over for supper. We've been over to other people's homes. There's lots of stuff going out. And it's not even just superficial parties. People care about each other. They take care of each other. People, families make meals for others that need them and and look out and that people do work in the community, they work with the school, with other organizations. There's so much great stuff going on in Junius, and it's kind of leaving me frustrated going, do they even need us here? (laughs) So I tell you that as a backdrop to this story, uh, this thing that happened to me yesterday. Yesterday was a beautiful day outside. Now, and I think you all know, we're not living in our house in our neighborhood right now. We're having to have some repair work done on it. And so for the past... Five weeks, we've been living um, in North Dallas. And uh, so not in our neighborhood, but it's beautiful outside. We've been cooped up in the house all week. So I take Henry on a walk, uh, put him in the stroller. We just head down the street. Uh, the street uh, the house is on has no sidewalks. It's no big deal. It's kind of a quiet street, neighborhood street. So we just we walk down the street and we're going along. And then it uh, intersects with Forest Lane, which is a busy street. But Forrest has a sidewalk, and so I think I'll just I'll get on the sidewalk, I'll go a block down, we'll, then we'll come back into the neighborhood and take another street in. So we walk a block down Forrest on the sidewalk, and the next street is, is uh, Welch. And it's a pretty busy street. No sidewalk. I'm like, okay. I don't want to turn around. So I'll go another block, um, and that street will surely have a sidewalk or will be you know more friendly to a pedestrian. 
So the next block was about uh, three quarters of a mile down, and that's Inwood, which is a busy street, <laughs> but they have sidewalks, so we're good, so I thought. So I turned down Inwood, and I start walking and looking for a street to cut into. Uh, now, at this point, we've probably been walking for like half an hour. <laughs> And I was looking around at all the, the homes um, and the cars parked in the garages and everything, and it was such a beautiful day outside. Nobody was out. We, we saw one person jogging in 30 minutes walking around that neighborhood. And as we walked down Inwood, looking for the street to turn in to get back into the neighborhood, every single one's a cul-de-sac. And they're not, they're not very inviting cul-de-sacs either. They're the kind that have the the, uh, the brick wall built up to either side of the street. A couple of them even had gates across. There was one case where I looked, and there was the cul-de-sac, and then the median in the middle of the road went all the way through, so you couldn't even like drive across the street to get to the other side of the street. One had a, uh, a sign posted that said, No Trespassing Guard on Duty. Not very pedestrian-friendly. <coughs> Easy to navigate. Not very friendly to people in general. And uh, it was at this moment that God says to me, imagine trying to start a missional community here. (laughs) (laughs) Not that there's bad people in this neighborhood, not that any, any of that, but what he was saying was, I've been working on Junius Heights for a long time. That is a place that gets community. That is a place that has people that actually want to be out and socializing with each other. That is a community that is ready. Those places just isn't ready yet. But Junius is ready. Okay, they're ready for us. What are they ready for? So that brings me, and the answer to that, by the way, um, is this word that we throw around a lot. Gospel. What is that? What's the difference here? And that brings me to the scripture reading for the week. You want to hit the next slide? You don't have it? No. Wow. All right. We have to look at ourselves. We got these things going. We got these lines on the table. All right. First Corinthians chapter one, verse eighteen. The first person that gets their shout out the page number. It's not in there? Sabotage. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. That doesn't help. (laughs) 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18. Okay. I'm going to be reading. So, follow along. I'm going to be reading from a different translation than you have. It's called the voice. I really like the way that this says it. I'm just going to read the first half of this verse. For people who are stumbling toward ruin, the message of the cross is nothing but a tall tale for fools by a fool. It's a pretty, pretty tough statement. Now, I don't know if I'm really authorized to do this with the, with the text, but I want to take that sentence and inverse it and read some meaning into this. So if I I flip around the first part and the last part of that sentence, it reads kind of like this. People to whom the message of the cross 
is nothing but a tall tale for fools by a fool are stumbling toward ruin. That's a chilling statement. Uh, like I said, in Genius Heights, God has shown me that there's a lot of good people that lead successful lives, that have happy lives, that are even like virtuous people that don't believe the gospel. All right, let's look at part B, the second part to that verse. Again, in my wacky translation, it says, but for those of us who are already experiencing the reality of being rescued and made right, it is nothing short of God's power. And let me inverse that sentence for you, too. If I were to do that, it reads like this. Those of us to whom the gospel is nothing short of God's power are already experiencing the reality of being rescued and made right. That's also a very powerful, poignant statement. So here's my problem. When I, when I see something like this, I immediately go and ask about myself. Is this how I feel? Sometimes I feel, I actually feel like I'm stumbling. Let me see what I mean. Like I'm out there trying to do the right thing, right? I want to live intentionally in my community. I want to take care of others. I want to be there for people socially. And I do it because I know it's what I'm supposed to do. It's the obedient thing. It's the right thing. And when I'm like that, it leaves me exhausted, empty, drained. And I feel like I'm just kind of stumbling through things. There are also times when I know for certain and I really and truly feel the reality of being rescued and being made right. I want to look at another example. So this is uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. So flip over there and whoever gets there first, shout out that page number. It reads like this. Let me remind you, brothers and sisters, of the good news that I preached to you when we first met. It's the essential message that you have taken to heart. The central story you now base your life on. And through this gospel, you are liberated. Unless, of course, your faith has come to nothing. As you hear that, you look at that, I want you to pay careful attention to the words that talk about the impact of the gospel on the lives of those that believe it. Let me highlight some of these for you again. It's the essential message that you've taken to heart. The central story you base your life on. Through this gospel, you are liberated. Or the flip side of that, if you're not, your faith has come to nothing. Those are also very strong words, very powerful emotional words. And again, I got to ask myself, do I really feel that way? Sometimes, but a lot of times I don't. And it's kind of weird to think about this. I mean, when was the last time that I really spent time thinking about how the gospel has impacted 
my life. So, if you're with me and you, you don't always feel that way, I wanna, I'm going to tell you, you don't worry. Um, look back at the very beginning of verse 1 of chapter 15. The phrase that Paul uses says, let me remind you. You see, and then he goes on to use the words again like essential message, central story, you base your life on, those very strong words. But he's reminding them of these important central things. He knows and actually, as John mentioned earlier, we're forgetful creatures. We kind of forget things. We lose touch and we forget what it feels like and what it means and what it's supposed to be. And Paul's like, you need a reminder. So let me remind you. Let me remind you tonight. In fact, um, I'm not going to do the reminding. I'm going to let the Apostle Paul continue to do it. So I'll start reading from verse 3. That's what he says. For I pass down to you the crux of it all which I also received from others, that the anointed one, the liberating king, died for our sins and was buried and raised from the dead on the third day. And all this happened to fulfill the scriptures. So God's chosen king died, was buried, and was raised, and it happened to fulfill the scriptures. And that last part about fulfilling the scriptures is very important because that gives the context for it all to make sense. See, the scriptures tell the whole story. It starts at the beginning with creation, right? The world was created good and perfect. And then we learn about the fall. And then we learn about the choosing of Abraham and then the giving of the law with Moses and then the reign of King David and Solomon. The exile to Babylon, the return from exile. The continued occupation of the Greeks and of the Romans. And into this story comes God's chosen king down to reign and to live. And he died and was buried. But then he came back to life victorious in the context of this story. It makes so much sense. Creation, fall, redemption, restoration, the gospel. We tell it another way. The gospel is... Jesus, God's king, God is king of this world. You know, a lot of times you say, Jesus is king of my heart. Well, maybe, but he's, he doesn't want to just be king of the heart. He wants to be king of everything, the whole world, the whole universe in charge. And he lives among us, which is also important. Think about this. It, you know, in this country, we don't have uh, a monarchy. We have a constitutional republic. Right, so theoretically, the rule of law stands above any, any person. Uh, so we don't really have anything like a king, but we kind of have a president. So imagine the president of the United States. The president does not live among the people. The president lives in a special house, in a special city that's behind a fence, that's protected by guards, that has an, an extra guard inside, that has a personal security detail that follows, follows him around, that has layers of bureaucracy in front of him. You can't talk to the president, Right. If you, if, you ha- if you want to ask him a question about something, you can't do it. If you want to tell him about something that's important to you, you can't do it. But our king lives with us. And you can talk to him. And he will listen to you. And he'll talk to you. Jesus is the king of this world, and he lives with us. Those of you that have done um, huddles, you probably we've, we've talked about that in terms of Kingdom and covenant gospel. I got to tell you, just retelling the story right now 
makes me feel it. This is one of those moments when I'm like, yes, gospel, I get it. It flows through me. And I got to say, as this group, we've talked a lot about gospel. We've talked a lot about how to tell the gospel. I don't think telling the story is our problem. I think we know how to tell the story. I think we're just afraid to tell it. Which brings me to a concept that is kind of new to me. I heard it a couple weeks ago in a blog post that got emailed around to a couple of people. It's this idea of gospel fluency. <clears throat> now, fluency is usually a word you uh, use when you talk about a language, right? I'm fluent in English. Um, <clears throat> some people are conversational in, uh, in other languages, right? You kind of... You learn how to speak it, how to say it. You can kind of have a general conversation. You can go to the restaurant and order food and not look like a fool. Um, but when you're fluent in a language, you really understand it. You can express yourself very creatively. And you perceive the entire world through the lens of that language. Right? This is a projector. This is a cup. That's a chair. The, the object becomes the English word to me. That's how I understand it. I'm fluent in English. Now, I could go and sit down and memorize a couple of phrases in Spanish um, and get them down really good and get my pronunciation right. But if I walk up to a couple of people having a conversation in Spanish, I'm going to have no idea whether or not what I'm going to say is appropriate or not. Maybe what I have to say is offensive. I don't know. Maybe it's not going to make any sense. You know, maybe it is the exact right thing. I have no idea. So out of fear, I'm just going to keep my mouth shut. Because I don't understand the conversation. But if I were fluent in the language, I would understand not just what they're saying, but the subtext behind the words. I would be able to see in the conversation what's appropriate to say or to not say by listening and understanding. By being fluent in the language, I can then speak and say something and not be afraid of saying something offensive or stupid. And so that brings me to a sub-point in gospel fluency. Um, when you're fluent in the language, it allows you to be able to truly listen to another person, which is a huge skill. To be able to listen, to truly listen to a person, is how you truly get to know them. Because you begin to hear not only the words that they say, but the way that they say it. The words behind the words behind the words. And you can get at them. And so I'd like to introduce them to all of us the concept of gospel listening. Because I think if we're fluent in the gospel, we ought to be able to listen as people talk and hear the gospel or hear echoes of it in what they're sharing. And this isn't just some kind of like fuzzy, pretty thing that we're going to leave you with. This is, I, wanna, I want this to be as practical as possible. So remember the, the four breakdown of the, the four-part breakdown of the gospel that I gave in the context of the whole story. Creation, Fall, redemption, restoration. And this is the part where I really would have liked to have had my slides. Um, but creation, everybody has some sort of an idea as to where they came from or how they got in the circumstance that they find themselves in. Who's responsible for them? Some people blame their parents or their friends or their co-worker, you know, or, 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 or trust. Their fall. What's the current mess that you're in right now? Why, why are things wrong in this world? Is it, is it the government's fault? Is, did my parents do something? Is this some relationship that's messed up? Who is to blame for what's wrong in the world or in my life? Redemption. 
Who can make it better? You know, is there going to be some sort of philosophy or better way of thinking? Or maybe, maybe a new, maybe I just need to get a new boss to come in and take over the department. Or what, what or who is it that can come in and make things better? And then restoration. What does it look like when everything is the way that it should be? And who gets credit for that? Who who centers on that? And so what I'm saying is that when you try to listen for these things, you can hear these patterns in the conversations that you have with people. At different levels of superficiality, you will hear these patterns. And when you hear them and begin to recognize them, you can begin to understand and see where the gospel is already impacting someone. Or maybe where you could begin to um, have that interaction. So I want to practice tonight. I'm going to give each table a sheet of paper. Take that PowerPoint. (laughs) This is just an exercise. There is a conversation that somebody is having with you. And let's take a couple minutes, read that together as a group, and I want you to try to identify creation, fall, redemption, and restoration in this story. I'm going I'm to go ahead and ask you all to, to stop. I want to be starting to run a little short on time. But uh, I guess real quickly, um, 
let's 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 uh, kind of as a group process through this. So, what did you guys come up with for creation? The marriage. Mm-hmm. Best friends. Best friends. Their friendship. Um, and the fall. Job and baby. And what? And who's who's to blame for 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 the problems? Nobody. Nobody. <laughs> the baby. Okay. Life in general is just the way things are. Okay. Redemption. Any thoughts there? Try harder. Perhaps yeah, marriage counseling or something. Talk more. Talk more. Like so, maybe. We thought you kind of conceptualize what redemption was like. That is, she needed more deeper, deeper conversation. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, like, she was going to try to be her own redeemer. You might say. Yeah. Yeah. She definitely blames herself. Hmm. Restoration. Work uh, harder before. Like she wants to restore to what it was in the beginning. Like that's what. The way that it was up front. Yeah. Yeah, you know, uh, Ruth brought up a really good point of just like where she finds her identity. Uh huh. Like, who is she a wife first, or is she a mother first, or is she a child? Uh huh. Uh huh. That's good. So. This this is an example, and and I guess my my ask of you is to kind of take this template. Don't use it to start a conversation. Don't use it to take over a conversation, but practice just listening this way. And when you listen, look for these elements and look for how it diverges from the grand story of the gospel, from God's story. Look at. Try to see the differences. Who is her redeemer versus who is God's, you know, who is our redeemer? Who is responsible for the problems in the world, you know, versus who do they blame? What is what does real restoration look like? And just kind of begin to notice those differences and become more aware of that. Don't don't try to jump in and take over a conversation. But just practice listening. I think that's probably our biggest uh, biggest growth area. Would you all pray with me? And for whoever got Whatever it in there. <laughs> oh, Father, we love you. And Lord, you came just like you promised you would. You came as king into this world and we killed you. And that didn't even stop you. You came back to life and you reign as king over the whole world. And you were right here with us in our lives, God. If we'll have you continue to pour into us your spirit, Lord, so that we can so that it just overflows into all those around us. Send us out into your world. God, teach us to be fluent in your gospel, to see you at work in everyone's life everywhere, to be able to come in and just observe you at work and then maybe even to join you and to participate in that wonderful, wonderful story of reconciliation and redemption and restoration. In Jesus' name, amen.